Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Today in our culture of hurry and rushing around with so much to do, it's important to remember the priorities in our spiritual lives. There are 17 times in 16 verses that the phrase one thing appears in Scripture. These passages provide self-probing questions and an opportunity to assess the simplicity of our faith. Now, one is singular, one is specific, one is separate, and one stands on its own. It signifies importance, prominence, independence, and focus. There are occasions that we need to pause and ask ourselves about what is most important and what needs to be most prominent in my life, especially when our modern world asks so much and moves so fast in so many different directions. What is the one thing that I need to remember and do in my spiritual life? Having this kind of simplicity and order in life can be a great blessing. And in John 9, we learn about a man who had one simple, singular focus. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 7 read, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation, sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Physical blindness in Scripture pictures spiritual blindness. The deliverance from blindness by Christ in His earthly ministry was an illustration to Israel and to all that Christ is the light of the world, the only way to God, the Savior, the one who delivers us from spiritual darkness and from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into spiritual light and spiritual life. Here in John 9, we see the light of the world in action and opening the eyes of a man born blind. By accounts such as this, we see that only through Christ do we truly see. The Lord here was in Jerusalem in obedience to the law of Moses to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So it was now September or October and about six months prior to the cross. Somewhere in the old city, city probably near the temple, the Lord and his disciples passed by a man born without sight. Verse 8 tells us that he was a beggar. The man had been blind his entire life. The beggar could not see Christ. He'd never seen anything, ever. But the Lord saw the man when he passed by him. 
The disciples saw him also, but they did not see him as one needing mercy, but rather as a subject for a theological question to pose to the Lord. They ask, was the blindness a result of the man's sin or his parents' sin? The disciples saw the man's affliction as the penalty and punishment of someone's sin, either his own or that of his parents. Their question was a common one, and one that is still asked by people today. Living in a sin-cursed world, suffering afflictions, disease is part of living in this world, and all physical problems are the result of the fall and sin entering the world through Adam. So in that sense, sin does cause suffering and death. Also, sometimes man brings about suffering by poor choices and doing something sinful that directly causes bodily harm. God often allows our actions and decisions to produce the natural consequences that follow. He allows us to reap what we have sown. And sins and poor choices often produce unwanted consequences and suffering. But the disciples' question here was whether any personal sin by this man or his parents had caused this and brought God's punishment on him for it. This is the line of thinking that Job's friends had. Job hadn't done anything, and he suffered greatly. And chapter after chapter, when you read the book of Job, Job's friends kept telling him that his suffering was because of some sin in his life and that he needed to fess up and admit it. And the disciples here also thought that this man's blindness and suffering was directly connected with a sin in his life or in the life of his parents. The answer Christ gives in verse 3 is neither this man sinned nor his parents. Now certainly all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so we know that both the man and his parents had sinned in their lives, but what the Lord meant was that personal acts of sin by the man or his parents were not the cause of his blindness. And with one simple statement, he completely obliterates the whole idea that suffering was a direct result of a sin in a person's life and punishment by God for it. We are shown here that we can't make those connections and make those suppositions about sin and God's punishment because we are wrong in doing so. Christ gives no judgment as to why the man was born blind. He just simply says that the man's blindness provided an opportunity to manifest and reveal the glory and power of God. And Christ himself had come to reveal that glory and power. The disciples asked why. The Lord was interested in what? What could be done to help the man in his great need? And the Lord saw an opportunity to do God's work. But the Lord says that as long as he is in the world, he was the light of the world, and he was about to demonstrate that with this blind man, showing that he was the spiritual light. By And you'd show that by providing physical light and sight for this man. When Christ had said these words, he bent down, and he spit in the dirt. And then he smeared the clay, and he took the mud, and he put it on the man's sightless eyes. Now, in the past, when the Lord healed the blind, Christ had simply touched the eyes of the blind, or he put spit on their eyes. Here he put mud on the man's eyes. 
Warren Wiersbe put it well when he stated, Our Lord varied his methods lest people focused on the manner of the healing and missed the message in the healing. After he applied the clay to his eyes, the Lord told the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The term Siloam is Hebrew for scent. And this is an interesting play on words here because Christ had talked about had talked about him being sent by the Father, and he sends the blind man to a pool meaning sent. The pool was located at the southeast corner of the city. The pool had its water source from the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley by a channel that carried water to it. So the water from the spring was sent to the pool by this channel and was how it's got it how it got its name. The man is sent on a journey of faith, obedience, and submission. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And to simply submit, obey, and do what God asks by faith pleases Him. If this man had not trusted and obeyed, he would have been, remained blind and been left in darkness. But because he trusted and obeyed, he was brought into light and into sight. And so trusting the Lord and obeying His Word brought physical healing. This man was an illustration to the nation of Israel to do the same, that if they'd trust the Lord and obey His Word, believing in Jesus to be their Christ and God's Son and repent and be water baptized, they'd be spiritually healed and brought out of their spiritual darkness into the light. Today, under grace, we are delivered from darkness into the light by faith alone, just trusting that Christ died for our sins and rose again, plus absolutely nothing. I like to stop and think about this man's walk as he journeyed through the streets of Jerusalem to get to the pool. Think about all that had just transpired. He had heard the Lord speak of how the works of God should be made manifest in him. And this, as he was walking, undoubtedly quickened his step and excited him at the possibility of what that might meant and what might happen. Think of him feeling his way, going as fast as he can down the street to the pool with all kinds of emotion, excitement, wonder, confusion, and hope. Christ hadn't told him he would be healed. He just put that mud on his eyes and instructed him to wash off his eyes. He hears the pool first, which makes him, I imagine, go even a little faster. He arrives at the public pool. He steps down the steps into it. He feels for the water. He cups it in his hand. He brings it to his eyes. He washes the clay off, and then he wipes his eyes. And then for the first time in his life, he could see light. He could see everything perfectly. He could see everything he'd wondered about his entire life. Everything was new. Everything was amazing. He saw the pool. He saw the water. He saw the sun. He saw the sky. He could see the city in its walls and its buildings and its streets. He could see the people. 
He could see birds and trees. He could see flowers. He could see color. He could see everything. He came away from that pool seeing perfectly, completely healed. In his excitement, he then heads to where he lived to see for the first time his family and neighbors. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Saved from what? is an 18-page booklet transcribed from episode 58 of our program, Transformed by Grace, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, president of the Berean Bible Society. The Bible talks about salvation and people being saved. But what does it mean by this? What are we saved from? What fate awaits you? The single greatest way we show love and concern for others is to share the gospel with them. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now... Back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. John 9, 8-17 read, The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How are thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay on mine eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. This man then bounds down the street, without his walking stick anymore and without his beggar's basket, arriving at his home, at first they don't recognize him. And there's confusion over the man's identity. And his neighbors and people who had previously known him when he was blind argue over whether he was the same blind man who used to sit in the street and beg. The drastic change in him and seeing him with normal sight was so incredible to him, they wonder if this is a case of mistaken identity. And then they start arguing about it. Some thought for sure that it was him. Others said, he's a lot like him. There's a resemblance, but it couldn't be him. And then the man himself insists and settles the dispute. And he's like, guys, it's me. It's really me. I'm the same person, the one you knew, who was once a blind beggar. That could be our testimony after we trust Christ as our personal Savior and we see spiritually. 
that people don't recognize us anymore because there's such a change. There's such a transformation to our heart and life as a result of Christ and now being in the light. The change in us can make people wonder the same thing if it's the same person that they once knew. Notice, though, that there is plenty of debate, lots of questions, but no excitement, no joy on behalf of this man who had been so miraculously healed. They, they missed the big picture. Instead of a celebration, they drag him into an inquisition, and he's made to stand before the Pharisees to answer for how this happened. The Pharisees, like his neighbors and people who knew him before, ask him the same question. How had you received your sight? Since the man had been born blind, the miracle had been more significant and incredible to the people and the Pharisees. Again, he's asked by the Pharisees, how? And it's been said that they were all asking the wrong question. They should have not asked how, but who? The man tells them that he didn't know how, but he did know who did it. He held tight to the facts, telling them how Christ had put clay on his eyes and he washed in the pool of Siloam and then he could see and it was simple as that. But since the Lord wasn't keeping their hair-splitting rules and traditions that the Pharisees had for the Sabbath, they felt that Christ had broken the Sabbath, was a sinner, and thus they felt that this was proof that he could not be of God. But others, it says, of the religious leaders were not so sure and wondered that if Christ was a sinner and a false prophet, how he could have the power to perform such a miracle as this. No sinner could do such impressive miracles, so he must be of God. And so there was a division over the Lord and his identity. And division over the Lord remains today. People are forced to take sides, then as now with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this division, Group A, for them, it was a Sabbath issue. Their reasoning was, he broke our Sabbath rules, but all people from God uh, would keep those rules. So he's a sinner, and he's not from God. Group B, it was a supernatural issue. Their reasoning was, only God can open blind eyes. Christ opened the eyes of this man born blind, so their conclusion was, he is from God. So he was to them either a Sabbath-breaking sinner or a miracle worker from God. So they asked the healed man what he thought. He must have an opinion. And his opinion was that Christ was a prophet. He had without a doubt performed a miracle, just as the prophets and Israel's past performed miracles. So he believed him to have a divine commission and to be sent from God as a prophet. John nine eighteen to 25 reads, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not, or he hath opened his eyes. We know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already 
that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. The Pharisees were sure that some mistake must have been made, and they were unwilling to believe that a miracle had taken place. They rejected the testimony of the healed man. They thought that the neighbors might be wrong about the man's identity, so they called and demanded that his parents testify, as his parents would know if this was truly their son who had been born blind. They asked them three questions, hoping that through one of them, they might show evidence of fraud and deception. Their three questions were, Is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how does he now see? The parents answer the questions and confirm the identity of their son and the fact that he was indeed born blind. All doubt is removed now for doubting the truth of the miracle. They answered the third question the parents did hesitantly timidly and evasively. They told the Pharisees that they did not know how he had been healed or who had healed him. They did not want to involve themselves in the controversy of the miracle. So they passed the buck. They tell the religious leaders that their son was an adult capable of answering for himself. Verse 22, though, adds that they spoke these words fearing the Jewish leaders in excommunication because the leaders had at that time published that anyone who confessed that Jesus was Israel's Messiah would be expelled from the worship and fellowship of the synagogue. So they shifted the pressure off of themselves and onto their son, which is a very nice, and they say, ask him. So the Jewish leaders did this. The healed blind man is summoned to appear a second time before them. And anxious to have this matter settled, they tell him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Therefore, he's a sinner. So give God the glory for your healing and give God the glory by telling the truth. And ironically, by giving Christ the credit and the praise, he was giving God the praise for his healing because Christ is God. By this, the Jewish leaders wanted the man to attribute the miracle to God alone and admit that Jesus was a sinner, and thus to modify his testimony, admitting that Christ was not a prophet, not sent by God, and had not healed him. They'd made up their minds, and they were not going to be objective, and they refused any testimony as a ruling body that claimed that Christ had performed this miracle. They believed that this Sabbath breaker could not have opened this man's eyes, and so they are warning the witness that his testimony better coincide with their predetermined decision about Christ. And so in this we learn who was truly blind in this account. Blind in unbelief, and many are like them. In verse 25, it shifts back to the man, and he says, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, 
Though I was blind, now I see. And you got to love this guy. He tells them, so we're going to talk about what we know and what we don't know. Well, I don't know who he is. I don't know about the accusation of him being a sinner. But one thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. And this was a truth that no one could deny. The leaders saying Christ was a sinner, that was their opinion. His receiving of his sight was a plain, undeniable fact based on the reality of his experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. He refused to deny what he knew for certain. I was blind, but now I see. He could not doubt the fact of his sight. He was blind all of his life. And then Christ came along. He put clay on his eyes. He told him to wash it off. And he did what he told him. And now he could see a miracle had taken place in his life. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. There is a lot in life and in our walk by faith that we do not understand in life. There is a lot we will never know or understand on this side of glory. But there is one thing that is important that each of us know. That having trusted Christ as our Savior, once I was blind, but now I see. And that's what we sing in Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. This blind man is a picture of all mankind. Everyone that is born into this world is born blind, spiritually blind, and a sinner. The Lord Jesus Christ giving sight to this blind man is a picture of the Savior, the light of the world, bringing the light of life and spiritual sight into a person's soul when they trust Him as their Savior. The man's joy at his sight pictures Christ's love for us and our joy in our spiritual sight and deliverance from darkness. We must remember this one thing in our lives. This one thing that we know is true. And allow the joy of our salvation to motivate us to live for our Savior and His glory. Something marvelous happened in our life having met Christ. A miracle has happened to us having trusted Him as our Savior. And this one thing we know, He saved me from all of my sins and set me free. I was lost, stumbling in darkness and spiritually blind, but now I see in all things have become new. Sidney E. Cox wrote the following in her song, This One Thing I Know. This one thing I know. This one thing I know. God in great mercy, pardon me, snapped sin's fetters and set me free. Once I was blind, but now I see. This one thing I know. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.